I want to read to you a letter, and this letter is from a, a mom. It's a letter that a, that a teacher got, just a random teacher in, in junior high school received. Listen to this. My daughter is in junior high school. Over the past few years, she's experienced some unfriendly behavior from other girls, mostly in the form of obvious exclusion. There are times when she's addressed these issues and times when I've contacted a teacher or a parent. Last year, a good friend stopped speaking to her. She was devastated. It went on for months. I know the parents, but I didn't talk with them about it. I can't force this kid to like my daughter. But should I try to contact the parents and find out what's up? Am I over-involved? Signed, a perplexed mom. <laughs> Some of you are smiling because you may have been there before. I want to protect my kid. Somebody doesn't like my kid. They've excluded them. Boy, that happens to kids all the time. I, girls especially, y'all have to deal with that thing, especially in that age group. Good grief, somebody's excluded me. Exclusion is awful. It's a terrible thing. It is. It's a terrible thing. You know what's even worse? Spiritual exclusion. Feeling like God's people don't want anything to do with you. Or maybe God doesn't want anything to do with you. It's awful. Spiritual exclusion. The son of a prominent Hamas uh, family. Hamas is a, well, it's a political party, but it's a terrorist group in Palestine. The son of a Muslim Hamas family became a Christian recently. He said, I know I'm endangering my life and I'm even liable to lose my father, but I hope because he loves me, he will understand. I'm here to tell you he was told to change his name and facial identity for his own safety. His father disowned him and turned him over to the authorities. Last August, a young woman was found guilty for converting to Christianity in Saudi Arabia and was burned alive by her father. I know those are extreme, but that's what spiritual exclusion does to people on the inside. Feeling like God and me have this big ditch between us and the two will never meet. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, I want to read this to you, okay? We're going to start there. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. I'm actually, I think I'm going to begin at, at verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners of the covenants of promise, without hope. And without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both them, both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In verse 12, this real powerful thing he says. He says, you were, you were not part. You were excluded. You were excluded. And then he says these words. You were without God. You see that? You were without God. Let me tell you what that Greek word is. You're going to laugh. The Greek word that he used for that is the word atheos. It's where we get the word atheist. <laughs> in other words, well, today an atheist means somebody who doesn't believe in God. That's not really what the word atheos means. It means without God. See, these Gentiles that he was writing to, they believed in all kinds of gods. In fact, they believed in any number of gods, lots of gods, all kinds of gods. Paul was saying, you guys were without a relationship with the real God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had no part in a covenant with the real God. They were atheists. They were without God. Have you ever thought of yourself before you became a Christian as an atheist? You were without a relationship with the real God. The next verse says, basically, while you were atheist, Jesus Christ did something about it. Through his blood. Through dying on a cross. He uses this word, and this is the word I want to focus on today. He uses a word, he said, reconcile. He used the word reconcile. Let's look at what that word is. Reconcile. Here, here's what a dictionary would say. To restore friendly relations between somebody. To, to restore friendly relations between. You know, to restore friendliness. We understand what that means. You know, we say settle your differences. Make a peace, make up, kiss and make up, bury the hatchet, declare a truce, whatever it is. In other words, to restore the relationship. That's pretty good. But look at this definition. Here's another one. Reconcile. To find a way of making two different things be true at the same time. Woo! What's that about? Have you noticed that Jesus has made two different things look, two, two things different at the same times with us? He's made them alike? Think about it. I'm not perfect, but I'm still a Christian. I'm saved and I'm forgiven. I'm still dealing with my sins, but I'm still a Christian, saved and forgiven. I have problems in my life. I'm still a Christian, saved and forgiven. I have a long way to go but I'm still a Christian, saved and forgiven. I feel so unworthy, but I'm still a Christian, saved 
and forgiven. Do you see how he's made two things that seem totally different somehow work together? Are you kidding? You mean God can do that for us? That's why Paul said he's our peace. He's broken down the wall. The wall between us and God. And even the wall between each other. He's reconciled us to God. He reconciles us to each other. That destroys prejudice and hatred and grudges and unforgiveness. That's just what God does. He makes things that we're struggling with. He says, I can see the end of that in you. I can see you overcoming that. And yet, and he doesn't throw us away until we get there. Isn't that great? 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. What? You mean, while I'm still working on me, while God's still working on me, when I'm not perfect yet, God still lets me help other people know Jesus. That is amazing. How many times have I heard somebody in the church go, well, I'm not ready to minister anything, man. I, I've, I, I, need to, I need to be everything right with God. I need to have solved all my problems before I can help anybody else. Are you kidding? You'll never help anybody. The neat thing is God allows us to be reconciled with God and while he's still working on us, help other people get there. You know some of the greatest evangelists, people that win people to God, are people that just got saved. (laughs) And they go to their friends and they go, hey, man, I don't know what happened to me, but something changed on the inside. And they've got so far to go. And yet that person goes, really? And then they come and come to Jesus at the same time. God gives us a ministry to reconcile other people while he's still reconciling us. It's pretty cool. I run, I run into that all the time with Master's Commission students. We have people that come in and they've got lots of issues they're dealing with. I mean, we have young people that come in from strong church families. We have young people that come in from no church families. And, and, and somehow this great... Uh, difference of people and what they grew up with and what they've learned or whatever they all go together and they minister Jesus together and people come to Christ and some people are going how can God use somebody that just last year was involved in this well here's how it's called reconciliation God's in the middle of it and he uses us in that ministry of reconciliation now I got one more definition of reconcile I want you to look at this is awesome this blew me away when I found it look at this one reconcile To make one account consistent with another, especially by allowing for transactions begun but not yet completed. (laughs) Y'all know what that is. That's like balancing your checkbook. When you balance your checkbook, if some of us know how to do that anymore, you, you weigh the deposits and then subtract checks that have come through and then also those that haven't gone through yet And then you add deposits that hadn't cleared yet. And somehow you come up with, this is where I am. That's how you reconcile your checkbook. I want to tell you something, folks. Jesus has made all the deposits necessary to cover all the checks and the debts that have yet to come through. Jesus has already covered it all. Already covered it. That is pretty good, isn't it? That's what what the word reconcile means. Reconcile means... God looks at us as right with him even though he's not finished with us. He looks at the finished product that we can't see. We can't even experience the finished product yet. But God is still working on us. I was talking to Joel 
uh, Pastor Joel the other day, and we were talking about this, and he said, you know, the cool thing is, is I have been reconciled, and I'm being reconciled at the same time. I have been reconciled with Christ, and I am being reconciled. Things, things are changing in me. That's the truth. Notice in verse 22, the last verse I read to you, it says, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Look at that. Are being built together. You're not finished being built yet. It's a process. It's not instant perfection. It's a process. Um, how many of you remember learning your multiplication tables? All right, this was like third grade. I, I don't know what they do it now. They probably do it earlier. But with me in my school, it was, th how many were third grade multiplication tables? Thank you. You're my buds. Third grade, it was awful. It was, I'm not a math person. It was awful. I remember the flashcards. My mother had flashcards. And we would sit down every night. Okay, we're going to do our fours. Four times one is four. I always got the times one. I got that one every time. <laughs> We'd go through them. And I was, I was pretty good until we got, oh, man, when we got to the sixes, I lost it. The sixes and the eights wipe me out and don't even talk about the nines I remember getting so frustrated and I was oh, I can't do this I'll never learn and my mother God bless her she was so patient she knew that the third grade was awful for children and that they were going to have to fight through and learn those multiplication tables and she would say to me you'll get it You'll get it. And I would, I'm not getting it. I remember falling on the floor and rolling around. She'd say, you know, six times eight is, uh, six, think Mark, six times it rhymes. Six times eight is 40. You know, you go, so, isn't that right? Six times eight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. The neat thing was, I was being reconciled. I was learning my multiplication tables. I didn't know them yet. And what we want is we want God, we want to come to the altar. We want to have an altar call. Come to the altar and God goes, there are all the way your 12s right there. Done. You, are, you now know everything. Woo! Holy Ghost, man of God. That is not what happens. Let me tell you what. Spiritually, you start with your ones. Listen, that's why we do this thing called life streams. <laughs> I just want to tell you, in, in the fall or in August, we start life streams again. Life streams is like your multiplication tables to learn some principles of walking with God. Because you're not going to learn about everything you need from God by coming to this altar. I'm just telling you, it's the truth. I love praying with people at the altar. That is not where it's going to happen. God's going to God's going to light a fire under you right here. And maybe there are decisions you make right here. But when it comes to learn to walk with God, you got to get the flashcards out. And it takes time. It takes a process. A mentor of mine when I was a teenager once said this to me. I'll, I'll remember it. Mark, someday in eternity you'll be perfect. In the meantime, learn to be pleased with the process of getting there. The final product is coming. It's just not here yet. Paul says that. 
2 Corinthians, he says, we have this treasure, that's our relationship with God, in earthen vessels. I think NIV says, in jars of clay. You know what that says? We have this incredible, wonderful thing of God inside of us, and we are fragile. While we're on this earth, it's an earthen vessel. Psalms 103, one of my favorite ones, says, He knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. Not but dust. He knows that we are but dust. (laughs) That came out wrong. I'm sorry. Inflection matters a lot. (laughs) Okay. Focus. God is not surprised that we fail. Have y'all figured that out yet? God is not surprised that we fail. He is not wringing his hands over our imperfections. He knows we are a work in progress. God knows that. It's like okay with him. Which brings me back to the words of this mentor I had who said, Mark, learn to be pleased with the process. Just make sure the process is also progress. If there's no progress being made, you're spinning your wheels. You're treading water, you'll get tired, and you'll drown. Make sure the process is also progress. So he used this phrase. Built together to become a dwelling in which he lives. He says, God's building a house in you where he can live. God's building you. You are the house of God now. This building is not. You are. You know why God lives here? Because you all come in here on Sunday. (laughs) That's why he lives in the building. You are the house of God. And God is building his house. God is building his dwelling place inside of you. He's done the work. He's reconciled us. He did it on the cross. We didn't do anything. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more. There's nothing we can do to make him hate us. He's accepted us. We've been reconciled. And our friendship with God is restored. That is true. We read, in fact, we read last week, uh, for by grace have you, uh, have you been saved. But there's another thing that says, through faith. That's where we come in. According to verse 22, we're being built. We're still being reconciled. The process of developing our relationship with God does depend on what we do with it. Our faith, our trust in Christ, our discipleship, our discipline, our walking with God, allowing God to rearrange us, allowing God to clean us up, to change us, to become sensitive to his voice, to learn how to hear his spirit, to learn how to obey his commands, to learn how to understand his word. He's in the process of building a house. This house is called Jesus in Mark Sims. He's in the process of building this house that he can live in. We're the house. He lives in us, but it's an unfinished house. And he wants to finish it. He's making progress in us if we let him work on it. But if we refuse to allow him to work on this dwelling place, then what we've done is just delayed the process. There are people that have been saved for 40 years and they still barely have the walls up. We have a part to play in that building of the house. You know what it is? Give God the building permit. 
We've got to give God the building permit. We've got to give him the permit to rearrange, to to remodel. Because we need remodeling all the time. It's okay. God is excited about looking at where you need to go and helping you get there. He does not look at where you need to go and say, good grief, I'm giving up on him. God, that's awesome. That's part of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God and he's still doing it. He is still reconciling me to him. He's still settling it all. And I've still got checks and debts and everything that are still out there. And God says, I can cover it. I can cover it. Now, what's on that check? How much was that check for? I can cover it. God says, I can cover it for you. Because I'm in a relationship with you. Uh, Some of you have heard... Uh, Elizabeth Barrett, she became Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She married Robert Browning. She's a poet. She was a poet. Her parents disowned her because they disapproved of her marriage to Robert Browning. Elizabeth, their daughter, wrote every week a letter to her parents telling them that she loved them and longed for reconciliation. After 10 years, she received a huge box in the mail that contained all the notes she had sent. Not one of them had been opened. They were all love letters to her parents. And it's really sad to say Elizabeth Barrett's own parents never read one. Had they just looked at one of them, that broken relationship with their daughter might have been saved God has written us a letter called Ephesians and in it he has declared I want more than anything in this world to be cool with you I want us to be in relationship I want to take this life this one called Mark Sims or 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 Paul Niven or Jeremy Sims or 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 whoever's here God has this incredible plan for what I can be. And he says, I want to help you get there. And I'm not looking at all the times you've already messed it up. I am working with you right where you are. But if we don't read the letter, if we don't allow that reconciliation to begin to happen in us, we will never be what God put us on this earth to be. But if we simply give him the building permit to work on this house, there's no telling what we can be in him. Nobody in this room has messed it up beyond God. Nobody. The worst we've done is delay. Nobody here has messed up what God can do in your life. It doesn't matter how low you are, what you've done. It doesn't matter. God is there writing letters to us all the time. Please, let's make this right. I want want relationship with you. I want relationship with you. I want relationship with you. And instead we're going, oh, I can't believe it. God won't even talk to me. God's sending letters. Open the letter. We started with a letter from a mom about her child being excluded and what pain it brings. I'm here to tell you, that pain is real. But there's already been a letter dropped in our mailbox 
read it. Ephesians chapter 2. God has already moved heaven and earth so that there will be a direct line of communication between you and him. And not one that happens at one time and then goes away to see if you're good enough to keep it. One that will happen every day of your life through everything you walk through, good, bad, whatever it is, he wants the right to make progress in the building of your life. And I want to tell you, that's what Kingwood Church wants for you more than anything in the world. I enjoy counseling, but I'll be honest with you, my counsel will not save anybody. I enjoy uh, ministering to you, enjoy praying with you at the altar, but my prayers are not going to save you. I'll tell you what it is, it's going to introduce you to the relationship you can have with the one who can. And Kingwood Church, what we really want to do as the house of God is to just help you give God permits to do what he wants to do in your life. That's why we're here. Notice it says in the scripture, we are being built together. I got news for you. It will not happen by yourself. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. God has said that happens in the church, in, among God's people. That's where it happens. That's where his presence is. Today, I know that there may be people in here who feel far away. You feel far away from God. Maybe because of something that happened to you. Maybe because of choices you made. Maybe because of choices you made that you said, I didn't have any option. Maybe you don't even know why. Maybe you just feel like God's holding something against you. Or maybe you see, feel that way because some of God's people are. And they may be. Maybe you feel far away because you think you're not worthy anymore. Maybe you think you're far away because there's so many people better and God has so much more time to spend with people who, who please Him and I never have pleased Him. Or maybe you think it's in, the, in your DNA that you're all messed up. Or may, I don't know, but I know this. God today is sending you a letter that says, not true. I want relationship. I want relationship. Please, let's start it today. Let's start building your life today. Let's start it today. Or maybe let's resume it. Come on, give me the building permit. I want to start working in your life. Reconciling. Making things work together. Restoring friendship. Restoring relationship. That is the center of everything God wants to do in you. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come and our musicians to come if they will. I'm going to ask the prayer team just to come and stand at the front. I want them to be a, 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 just a, maybe a point of contact for you. Perhaps today you feel far away and you just want somebody, somebody in this room right at the front to just pray with you and say, Lord, I want to feel near. I want to feel near for a change. I want to feel like the building program is on.
Maybe there's a reason that you want somebody to pray with you about it. You know why you feel far away. It doesn't really matter. I just want you to know the love letter's been sent, and I'm going to ask you to step out in just a moment and open the letter and let God start that process in you. Would everyone stand together with me?